Welcome to another part of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and today's topic is all about a depiction of the Divine Feminine, a depiction of Kundalini Shakti, the Divine Mother, known as the Goddess Kali. Now today we're going to explore what Kali represents, how she can help you, and how you can cultivate a relationship with her yourself on your own Kundalini journey. And this is very useful information, I think, because it will help us to use this relationship with the goddess, with Kali, with his deity, to navigate some of the more challenging parts of our journey, and also to cultivate an emotional element to our spirituality that involves a great feeling of devotion, of love, of surrender and trust and faith in God, which feels good in our body, okay? In yoga, we call that bhakti, in Sanskrit, bhakti. So today we're going to explore this a little bit. Kali, very important theme, energy, deity, goddess on the Kundalini journey. I've got a few of my own stories about my relationship with Kali to share with you. I've also got a great story by the great saint Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, he's a great renowned Indian saint. I'll leave you with that story at the end of this episode. So before we get into that, just want to remind you as always, check out the other parts of this series for some great interviews with some really incredible people that have traveled the Kundalini process, that have come back around to share some of their insights, share some of their solutions to their challenges. So you can check that out all at brentspirit.com, where I also have some other episodes where I talk about some important principles and practices to help you to navigate your Kundalini awakening journey safely and smoothly. brentspirit.com. You can also find this series on my YouTube channel called Brent Spirit. This episode in particular has a few visuals to go along with it, some photographs of the different characters and some of my own photography work that ties into some of the stories that I'll be sharing today. Of course, it's not necessary, but if you're curious, you can head over to YouTube and check it out. Enjoy the episode. Now let's talk about the goddess Kali. And before I share about Kali specifically, let me just preface this by saying that though Kali comes from the Hindu system of India, what we're speaking about here, if you're able to zoom out, what we're speaking about here transcends culture, it transcends time, place, country, language, or religion, okay? The themes that we're going to speak about today, the energy, purpose of this energy, the purpose of this idea of Kali, the relationship with Kali that we're going to talk about today, the relationship with the divine in general, okay, it doesn't need to be boxed into just one particular religion or tradition or spiritual path or language, okay, it doesn't need to be boxed into Hinduism or Sanskrit. These deities, such as Kali, for example, they're used to represent themes that are much bigger than even the symbol itself, right? Much bigger than even the idea of the goddess Kali, okay? It's just that for me, I see the Hindu system, I see the Sanskrit system, the yoga system, the Vedic system. I see it as being very sophisticated because it's old, right? It's been around for a long time. They've had thousands of years to interpret the different patterns and themes on this journey and document them through symbology, through myth, 
right? So there's a science there. So that's why I prefer this system because it's well-developed, right? It's what served me when I was going through my journey, feeling very confused, very lost. I, I found great uh, support and insight in the Hindu system. So I find it to be very clear. And for those reasons, I prefer it. For the record, some people think this, but I don't come from a family of Hindus. I don't come from a family of yogis. I come from a Christian Catholic background. I went to Catholic school, grew up going to church and all that kind of stuff. So I was confused about all of this. I had to learn this stuff in uh, my, my late teens, early 20s. I had to go out and learn about all of this stuff. And so I just wanted to point that out because sometimes people think because, you know, I'm, I've got brown skin, they think I'm a, some sort of yogi uh, by birth. But um, no, I, I wasn't born into any type of family like that. Um, so anyway, as, as I was saying, this isn't exclusively an, an Indian thing. It's not exclusively a Hindu thing. It's not exclusively a Sanskrit thing. And that applies as well to the topic of Kundalini itself. Like I've been saying throughout the series, Kundalini, Sanskrit term, comes from India, comes from the Vedic system. But this is a force that's seen around the world throughout history. Many different cultures have their own depictions of it. It's just that, like I said, the yoga system, the Vedic system, it's very well developed. I resonate with it. And uh, it seems to be the most popular language that people use to describe this phenomena. So rather than you know reinventing the wheel, let's just latch onto these tools that already exist and keep going, okay? So if you're not into Hinduism, no problem at all. You can use your own symbols here to get the same value out of this. So you can replace the idea of Kali, which we'll be speaking about it more in depth, but she's fierce. So you can replace the fierce, the fierce idea of Kali, this Indian goddess, with the idea of a fierce mother bear. And you can tap into that fierce mother bear energy, okay? You can also think of the divine feminine in general, as being synonymous with Mother Mary, right? With Pachamama, with Mother Earth, Gaia, okay? So all of these ideas, they should fit just as well if you're willing to be a little flexible, be open-minded, be creative, okay? Not be so rigid. They should fit with the ideas we're talking about today. And you can cultivate your own style to, to relate with the divine, to serve you as you go through this process, okay? So the divine feminine known as Shakti in Sanskrit. She has many forms that we use to sort of encapsulate and depict her many different qualities. So for example, within Hinduism, there is the goddess Lakshmi. She's the goddess of prosperity, of abundance. So we can turn to her when we're seeking this uh, sort of these qualities in our own life, abundance, prosperity, you know, we can, we can turn to Kali and trust the, Sorry, turn to Lakshmi and trust that Lakshmi is going to support us. And she will, of course. You can also turn to the goddess Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge, right? You want insight, you want knowledge, you can revere Saraswati. Then there's also Kali, right? The goddess. She is synonymous, like I said, with the divine mother, with this fierce mother, with like a mother bear. And she's considered by some to be the ultimate manifestation of Shakti, right? The divine feminine, Kali, okay? She's known for her fierceness. She's known for her purifying power that cleanses, right? That comes and destroys all the things that are in the way of our evolution that threaten us, okay? So Kali brings about change and transformation, healing, cleansing by being fierce, right? So she kills egos. There's some depictions of her with uh, a mala around her neck made of the heads 
of demons that she's killed. So very fierce, very gruesome, right? And she can be scary, right? It's important here that we understand, though, that she's scary, but she's on our side. This is key. Kali is on our side. She's on your side. She's on my side, okay? Just like a mother bear. Very fierce to anyone that might threaten the cubs, but we're one of the cubs, so we're safe, right? We're not under threat by the mother bear, okay? So Kali is known to destroy things that get in our way. She protects us, okay? She's fierce to everything that threatens us, but she's loving and protective of us. Okay, and this is important to understand. So here are some depictions of Kali. She's shown here, standing on a corpse. Like I said, she's got the mala made out of the heads of demons. She's got her tongue out, her eyes are focused, and she's clearing away all of the clutter, all of the conditioning, all of the trauma, the karma, the things in the way, the vasanas, right? All the things that are blocking the chakras, He's clearing those things away so that peace can be known, right? So that we can really embody and tap into our true nature and, and experience it in the heart as love, okay? So she, like I said, she's like a mother bear, right? Fierce, but protective. Very important to understand, okay? So when you feel yourself going through intense emotional purification, when challenging things are coming up within you, understand that they're arising within you Difficult emotions, thoughts, memories, fears, anxiety, depression, sadness, anger, rage, jealousy, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's arising during the kundalini process within you. You're going through a cleansing. You're going through a purification. Understand that all of that is arising to be burned up by Kali, to be destroyed by Kali, right? So it's almost like she is drawing it up to clear it out for you. Right? So you're not a victim of this process. Like I've been saying in previous parts of this series, you're not a victim. You're being transformed in the same way that a surgeon cuts you open to remove a tumor. Same way Kali draws all of these things that, that weigh us down, that keep us from embodying our true nature, and she burns it up and destroys it. Right. So ultimately, Kali's helping us. Right. It's just that if we don't understand that, then we think, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is Kundalini doing this to me? And we almost live as if like, you know, we figure out we're going through Kundalini awakening and we walk around as if, you know, we've been giving a diagnosis. Oh, I have Kundalini. That's my problem. I'm tired because I got Kundalini. Oh, I keep having these emotional upheavals because, you know, I'm dealing with this Kundalini thing. Shift your perspective a little bit. If you find yourself feeling this kind of like victimhood around it, recognize you're being transformed by the goddess, by Kali, by Kundalini, okay? So you can invoke the energy of Kundalini. Rather, more specifically, I mean the energy of Kali. You can invoke her by chanting her name, right? There's some different chants online, some different mantras you can listen to on, on online as well. Beautiful, beautiful music that will invoke this energy of Kali and fill your space with this fierce, protective quality. And you can know that you're safe by invoking her in this way. You can just think of her, right? You can even look at a photo of her. Uh, any, any, any way to sort of invite this energy and to bring your attention to this theme, this type of energy of fierce protectiveness, okay? You can also just feel qualities of being protected, just knowing I'm protected, I'm safe. There's a fierce protector always with me, okay? As well, in doing so, you can also learn to embody those qualities yourself of 
fierceness of being protected being protective of yourself of being fearless okay that means you know being confident enough to establish boundaries for example right so not only is Kali out there protecting us, Kali is also a mirror reflecting back to us our own potential that we can tap into as well. And this goes for all deities, all great masters, anybody that you admire, they're reflecting back to you qualities that you have within you. And the only reason you're able to recognize it within those other beings, people, gods, symbols, etc., is because part of you is resonating with it. Okay, So there's nobody out there that you admire that doesn't have something that you have within you. All the power that you see other people, other beings, deities embodying, you have the same power, same. They're, they are you, right? They are you wearing a different mask, okay? So it's very important that we don't want to get into idolization of these deities. We want to recognize that they are mirrors reflecting back to us our own potential and who we really are, okay? So you can also relate with Kali when things are difficult. You know, you're going through an upheaval. Something, something really difficult is coming up. You can know okay this is being cleared out of my system kali is coming with her fierceness with her love to clear these things out of my system to protect me from these things that have been threatening me and you can feel a sense of appreciation in the midst of that okay it's not always easy to do when you know difficult dark things are coming up but if you can find a sense of appreciation knowing that you're being cleared the same way that you might appreciate a surgeon for removing a tumor then that's when you're starting to approach states of invincibility where you have full trust that whatever happens within you is it's it's all sanctioned by the divine and and therefore it's it's going to be good for you it's going to help you okay so that's real invincibility if you ask me so when we begin to relate with the divine in, in the ways that i've been describing here i found that this is when the divine begins to show up to validate our our efforts right and the ways that the divine shows up is through things like synchronicity Okay, through dreams, through visions, the like. Okay, so all of these things can happen to show us that we're supported. So weird stuff, and I'm going to speak a little bit about some of those those ideas and the ways that the divine has shown up for me. I'm going to share some stories with you. And when we recognize the divine showing up in our life, either in a dream, a vision, some sort of synchronicity, what that does is it cultivates a sense of surrender and trust and we can let go a little bit and know oh, i'm protected the divine is here all around me clearly this evidence of the divine speaking to me coming to me in these in my meditation or hearing uh, a, a voice saying you know i'm kali here to protect you or, or or some sort of depiction or a symbol shows up when these things happen we can cultivate a, a deep sense of surrender and trust relaxing into knowing that like a a bear cub knowing that the divine mother the fierce mother bear is with us to protect us and we can surrender and relax and go back into that like almost very innocent state where we don't have to be always on alert in fight or flight mode looking out for threats we can know that we're protected that something's looking out for us okay so when these symbols show up we develop this sense of surrender and that lets us know we can trust this process it lets us know that you know we're not alone okay and at this also, like I was mentioning earlier, cultivates a sense of bhakti, of devotion, which to me means an emotional relationship with the divine, not an intellectual relationship where we know something about the divine. It's an emotional one where we just feel it in the heart, right? We just feel like deep love in the heart and love for God, 
And this is the devotion that people who chant mantras sing with. Those who are like bhakti yogis, who are more predispositioned, more predisposed to have an emotional relationship with God, they don't necessarily need to know anything about Vedic science or God's, uh, the ins and outs of this process. They just surrender and feel like, oh, God has me. Whatever happens is God has me and I'm taken care of and all is well. And if you come across people like, you know, for example, uh, great yogis, great bhakti yogis that do kirtan, that chant, you can feel this radiance from them of bhakti, of emotional relationship with the divine, and you can begin to resonate with it. And this doesn't exist only in um, in uh, Hinduism and yoga and uh, and the East. You can see it also in, in churches where people are uh, singing hymns, you know, gospel choir and that sort of thing, just praising God, celebrating Jesus. They're not thinking so much about it. They're feeling it, right? It's in the heart here. And that's where we really want to cultivate this, this deep sense of uh, a loving relationship with God. Okay. So this is why people chant the names of God. This is why people chant the names like Kali, for example. It brings about a deep sense of surrender. And it's not based on anything intellectual. It is emotional. It's felt deep within the heart. And it is a knowing on an emotional level, not an intellectual level, on an emotional level that you were loved, protected, and supported by the divine, by the divine mother, okay? So with all of this said, let me share a couple stories about my personal relationship with Kali to give you an example of how you can have a similar direct relationship with the divine in your own life, okay? So it's through these little stories that I cultivate devotion, trust, and surrender, like I've been mentioning. So about seven years ago, I was going through this kundalini process and I was called to begin practicing yoga, the kind with all of the different poses on a mat. Of course, if you've been listening to my series here, you know that I have some mixed feelings about Western yoga poses and practicing it on, on a mat and all that kind of stuff. And I've talked about that a little bit in other parts of my work here. But overall, this was the direction that I was called by Shakti, by the Divine Mother. And I was beginning to really develop this sort of personal relationship with the divine feminine. And so I was open to all of the ways that she can lead me and support me and show up in my life. And during this time, there was all sorts of different ways in the divine, in which the divine was showing up. The divine mother was showing up to me, uh, for me. Dreams, visions, synchronicity, symbols, all around. It was a pretty interesting time. So I began practicing yoga at a local studio. And to uh, pay my way through some of the classes, I volunteered a few hours a week in exchange for a yoga pass. And so at the studio there, I would do things like tidy up and I would speak with customers and uh, dust and, you know, do a little bit of promotion and whatnot. At the same time, I was also training to be a yoga teacher. That was the direction I was called in to really explore this whole idea of poses, to really get deep into my body and uh, see what the whole yoga thing was all about. So during my yoga teacher training, I was the only man there. So, so I was surrounded by women of all different walks of life, all different ages. And I just felt very much in the presence of the divine feminine, of the divine mother. And I knew that I was in the right place. Interestingly as well, the teacher there was also a doula, a midwife. And she specialized 
a section of our training in uh, prenatal yoga, pre and postnatal yoga. So this is not really something that I've been particularly interested in, right? Uh, I don't really have an interest in, in midwifery or childbirth or anything like that. But, you know, I'm in the program, whatever, I uh, went along with it. And it felt like, you know, I was going through a sort of theme of mother, divine motherhood, um, feeling like her child. Uh, we did this really incredible meditation where she guided the whole class, all women, through the feeling of being pregnant and giving birth. It was a beautiful guided meditation. And I just really could not bring my imagination, my sense of visualization to feel like I was pregnant myself, right? So she was guiding us saying, imagine your belly is big, you got a baby, they're kicking. I couldn't imagine any of that. All I could do was imagine that I was the baby. And so when she described the whole birth process, instead of experiencing it from the process, instead of experiencing it from the perspective that I was the one giving birth, I felt as if I was the one being birthed. And there were all these women all around me. It was, it was a pretty incredible experience. And so I, I felt really much like in the presence of the divine feminine, of the divine mother here. And I digress a little bit. Anyway, so I'm at this studio trained to become a yoga teacher, dedicated fully to this, this, this part of my life. And at some point, the studio changed owners and they rebranded, they changed the name of the studio. Okay, so the new name was revealed to be Kalika, spelled K-A-U-L-I-K-A. So the owner had told me, the new owner, she told me that Kalika means the energy that binds a community, right? It sounds like a great name for a, a yoga studio in the city, the energy that binds a community, Kalika. But something told me to look that word up for myself though, okay? So what I found when I looked up Kalika was that it was synonymous with Shakti. I mean, you can Google it yourself. Kalika means Shakti, the Divine Mother, Kundalini Shakti, right? The goddess. Of course, uh, Sanskrit terms, they've got many different meanings, many different interpretations, depending on the context and that sort of thing. But in general, Kalika means Shakti. It can also mean, I guess, the energy that binds a community in some context, but the most obvious meaning, Shakti. So I'm like, oh, here we go. Studio changed its name and now it's Shakti. It's, it's Kalika, synonymous with the Divine Mother. Now, Kalika is also synonymous with Kali. Like I said, there's many different um, you know, meanings and interpretations. But so Kalika, Kali, you know, same kind of root. So as a volunteer there at the studio, I understood I'm not working for the studio owner as a volunteer. I'm not working for the manager here. I'm working for Kali. Kali's my boss. Shakti's my boss. And so this yoga studio in a sort of urban downtown core, you could say, of the city became my Shakti temple, my Kali temple. And nobody knew this. I didn't describe this to anybody. But it, to me, this is how I was viewing it, that any volunteer work I do, this is all in devotion and practice and love and surrender to Shakti and she will support me. Okay. So that's what I understood. Now, during this time, 
I had no real direction in my life in terms of a career or job. I wasn't training to become a yoga teacher to, you know, explore it as a profession. I was training to understand yoga genuinely, uh, not just for a job. Um, and so I was just going with the flow. Kundalini had really stripped me of, of any sort of uh, uh, clear life path, life direction. And so I was just like, okay, you know, I have barely enough money to afford a yoga teacher training. It's starting up. At this time, everything kind of lined up and I found myself there at this studio, trusting in Shakti. And she really supported me and continues to support me. So at this time, I was feeling very creative as well. Kundalini, the process began to sort of activate uh, my creative urges and I felt very, very creative and I needed an outlet. And so I began experimenting with photography. Now at the time, I was photographing everything, but I wanted to photograph people, but I didn't know how to pose people, right? I didn't know how to tell people, you know, look up, chin up, look this way, look that way, give me a smile. I didn't know how to do any of that. I was very self-conscious about that. I really wanted to make people look good and I didn't know how. And so I was, I was a, a little bit insecure about photographing people as I didn't know how to direct them. Okay. And so what I noticed though was at the yoga studio, there were teachers and they already knew how to pose because they could just do yoga poses. And I didn't have to tell them anything because the whole yoga pose even down to where you gaze with your eyes, where you look, that was already set. So I just had to tell them, hey, do a warrior two, do a child's pose, and I could just photograph them. And I, I learned that, you know, they could use the photos for their promotional work for the studio. And this, this became another part of my service to the temple of Shakti, of Kali, Kalika. This became another part of my, my devotional practice, you could say. So I began to photograph the yoga teachers there on a volunteer basis and I use this to help to build my portfolio and you know they got some promo material out of it and I'll share some photos here and you can also see some more photos on my website at brentthesilva.com the link will be in the description if you're curious so at this time you know like I said I'm doing this on a volunteer basis and and it's uh, just something interesting that I'm exploring photographing the yoga teachers I have an interesting dream in an elevator. So I'm in like this fancy hotel in an elevator and I'm going up and there's a radiant woman in the elevator. And she asks me, hey, can you take my picture? And so I have a camera in my hand. I take her picture. And then she hands me some money and says, oh, thank you. Here you go. And I said, whoa, whoa hold on. I don't need any money. I don't work for this hotel. Like, I'm not an employee here. You don't have to pay me. I'm just a guest like you in the hotel. And she says, no, no, I want you to take the money. You took a picture of me. I said, okay. You know, and then I woke up, whatever. As I interpret this dream, like I mentioned in a previous section where I speak about dreams, I was riding up in an elevator, which is a very common theme of uh, dreams that I would have. To me, it represents the Kundalini going up the spinal column, the Sushamna Nadi, up the uh, the channel elevator ascending the divine woman in the elevator was the divine mother of course she gave me some some payment for the work that I did the, the photography work and so I understood okay maybe this is like a sign or some sort of hint that I might develop into a professional photographer and so I just kept pursuing it and then that eventually did happen now I share that with you just to inspire you in case you are where I used to be uh, in a point where, you know, Kundalini has turned your whole life upside down and you have no direction in terms of career, in terms of livelihood. Uh, funds are scarce. 
you can invoke the Divine Mother. You can invoke the Goddess Lakshmi, for example, and say, you know, support me, guide me. I'm here. I'm available. Give me some direction. I want to serve. And she will support you in this way if you surrender and develop this type of relationship. And so, anyway, from that point, I started to photograph dogs. Again, photographing my own dog just for fun. And then a fellow uh, uh, peer at the yoga studio said, hey, my dog is sick. Can you photograph him? I'll pay you. And I said, oh, okay. So she began to, uh, so she paid me. And I went over to her house and photographed her dogs. And it was a lot of fun. And suddenly I'm doing this as a job. And then I thought, okay, I want to commit to this. I'm going to invest in some good photography gear, some good lighting. I'm going to learn how to use it. I'm going to set up a little studio space. And I'm going to try and make something of this. I love dogs. I love what I'm, you know, I love uh, the photography idea of it. Um, and uh, I'm going to pursue this. So when I committed to it, my first client was a f some friends of mine. They brought over their pit bull, really beautiful dog. Her name was Kali, spelled K-A-L-I. So here's a picture of Kali. And so Kali, the pit bull, She's very loving. She's very sweet. But like the goddess Kali, and like you must know about certain dogs, they can be very fierce, very protective. Okay. Now, I've photographed tons of, of pit bulls and dogs like this. I love every single one of them. They've all been super sweet. I have nothing against them whatsoever. But they're very strong, muscular dogs. And if they needed to, they could protect. They could be fierce, right? And so Kali was there showing up in this uh, instance, in this instance for me as well. Okay. So I photographed over the next few years, I photographed over a thousand dogs, but still this photo here, it is an all time favorite of mine and I have it hanging in my studio. And sometimes clients will ask me, they'll say, Hey, I really love that photo. I love that pose that the dog is doing. Can you photograph my dog like this? And I always tell them, only if your dog will pose for me like that. And honestly, it never really happens. I feel that this is a once in a lifetime type of photo. And with my clients, we always create something unique, but this really special photo looks like she's just about to jump off the screen and, uh, you know, cuddle with you, which is what she did in this photo. Actually, I just got the photo at the perfect moment before she jumped and uh, cuddled on me. So that's a little bit about my journey, going through Kundalini, exploring yoga, exploring my relationship with the Divine Mother, developing into a photographer, throwing all of this in there on the fly, actually. I know that I, I'm kind of, I feel a little bit scattered, a little bit all over the place. I wasn't really intending on describing all of these details to you um, in my notes, but that's just what's coming through today. So I thank you for listening to me so far, but we're not done yet. So for the past few weeks, I've really been feeling a lot of love, a lot of devotion for the goddess Kali, right? For this energy, this fierce protective, fierce protective energy. I've been listening to some Kali mantras, really beautiful music. I've been feeling protected. I've been feeling grateful and loved. And so I've been on the lookout for a nice statue of Kali. It's my little intention, a little game I'm playing. I'm just trying to manifest a statue of Kali. Of course, I could go to the store. I could buy a few, one for a few bucks here. But I prefer to manifest one in you know an interesting way. And for me, where I'm looking is at the thrift store. So I have a little hobby where I go to the thrift store and I 
look for different spiritual books, and I find some pretty interesting rare gems, some specifically about Kundalini, some uh, about all different types of things to do with spirituality. And so I've built a pretty nice library of mystical texts from all over the world and, you know, I haven't spent too much money on it. So it's a fun little hobby. So whenever I've been going to the thrift store lately, I just look out for a Kali statue. And so the other day I was there and I just felt, you know, really strongly Kali is in the store. You know, Kali is around here somewhere. I felt this. So I went over to the statues and the trinkets and, you know, looking around. I couldn't find anything. No, no collie there. Okay, no problem. Then I went over to the books as I normally do, looking through the books. Didn't really find any book relating specifically to collie to satisfy this urge of this or this inkling that I knew, you know, collie's in the store. It's really hard to describe this feeling, but, you know, and I know it sounds crazy, but if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. So finally, I found myself in a section of the thrift store with some framed paintings and some photos and some wall art. And there I saw a huge painting of Kali. Okay. And I felt such great devotion, such great love, just knowing, ah, there she is. There's Kali. So I lifted up this painting and beneath it was a painting of Durga. And Durga is another form of Kali. Durga is the, uh, the goddess that rides the tiger. Okay. And so then I moved that one and there was another one of Saraswati and another of Shiva and Parvati. And so the Divine Mother was showing up for me in so many ways here all at once in these different beautiful big paintings. It kind of felt like, um, maybe not the best example, but kind of felt like Harry Potter when he was getting all those letters from Hogwarts when he was um, staying with his aunt and uncle and that, and that fat boy. <laughs> and uh, he was getting all of those letters, right? It kind of felt like that. Like I was being overwhelmed, like everywhere. I, I moved the painting and there was another one and another one. And it was like, ah, here's Kali. Here's the divine mother. She's here, right? Not in the way that I expected, you know, in this form of a, a little statue in a, arguably an even more profound way. Anyway, I left those paintings there for somebody else to grab. Uh, it was enough for me to just see them and, you know, just feel this great, great devotion. So I felt really blessed, really in the flow. And it was a nice form of what we call darshan, right? In Sanskrit, darshan means a sighting of a, of a holy being, a holy deity, okay? So it's when you're blessed with an opportunity to see a deity in this way. And so this can happen in many different ways. Like I was saying, in visions, meditations, uh, just a painting, a picture, they might physically show up as darshan, okay? Now, I had written up my notes for this episode a few days ago, but then I got caught up and I couldn't record this episode at the time. And so I put it off. Now, a couple nights ago, in the middle of the night, I heard something fall off my shelf. And so I didn't make much of it, went back to sleep. But then when I woke up in the morning, on, my, on the floor, I found like a piece of plastic and I was like, you know, where is this from? Like a broken piece of plastic. And then I found another broken piece of plastic. And eventually I found my way over to a, a photo frame that had fallen off my shelf in the middle of the night. And I picked up the frame and it was a photo that I had printed of Ananda Maima, which is a great Indian saint that she passed away in 1982. Now, my relationship with Ananda Maima, it's, it's interesting. I don't know much about Ananda Maima at all, to be honest. I just know that a few years ago, I was having these dreams in which I was weeping 
with this great fervor and longing and devotion, I was weeping and looking for Anandamaima, calling her name. I remember like feeling as if she was around the corner. I would turn the corner and then there would be like something in the way. And I was looking for her, looking for her, crying and crying and looking for her. It was a very, very emotional sort of dream experience that even now when I think about it, I can feel this like deep, deep emotional um, uprising of like uh, devotion and surrender and trust and love. And so in this, you know, weird time when I was having these dreams, I, I printed a photo of her who I, like I said, didn't know very much about at all. I framed it and I kept it on my shelf and I would, you know, look at it and contemplate it now and then. And this was a few years ago, about three years ago or so. Now this past month, like I'm saying, I've been nurturing this relationship with Kali. I've really been contemplating her. I've been celebrating her. I've been listening to mantras to Kali. I've been chanting her name. And that's what's inspired this episode today. Now the thing is, Anandimai Ma is said to have been the incarnation of Kali herself. Kali in human form. Now I didn't really remember this until the photo fell and I thought, hey, isn't she the, you know, said to be Kali in human form? Then I had to Google it and, and look it up again. And then I said, oh yeah, she is. So when her photo fell off my shelf, I took this as another form of darshan, another uh, chance to be blessed with the sighting of the divine, right? Knowing that she's with me always. Now, like I said, I don't know much about Anandamayama. I just know that she radiates such deep peace and love whenever I see her photo, whenever I hear about her or think of her. And the same goes for the great saint Sri Ramana Maharshi. So these are the only two saints whose photos I have on my shelf in particular. And like I said in the beginning of this episode, this isn't strictly to do with Indian saints. It's not strictly to do with Anandamai Ma or Sri Ramana Maharshi. It's to do with what they represent. And what they represent is the divine light coming through in human form so palpably, so visibly and clearly and obviously that in these great saints, we're able to see it very easily. And so it's not that I'm celebrating or worshiping or idolizing or bowing down to Anandamai Ma, the human being, or Sri Ramana Maharshi, the human being. My devotion is for that which lies beyond this idea of them as human beings. It's for what they are radiating, which is that Shakti, that transmission of Shakti. And so if you happen to come across somebody who catches your attention in this way and you're curious, you know, what is it about this person? I don't know. Perhaps it is the Shakti within. And any humble, honest person who is radiating Shakti in this way will not take credit for it. Okay. So that's, that's something to keep in mind as well. They will, like Sri Ramana or like Anandamai Ma, just radiate it, but not claim that it's them specifically, right? Something beyond that they're a channel for, that they're able to transmit because the veil has become so thin in those particular individuals. Okay. So I don't want you to confuse this with like religious 
idolization or religious um, uh, fanaticism, if that's the word. Okay. So, of course, all of these stories I mentioned here, you know, you can chalk it up to simply random coincidence and you can call me cuckoo and, you know, that's fine. Honestly, I, I really don't care. Um, the feeling that all of these stories invoke in me, that's what matters to me personally. And one thing to keep in mind here, that these aren't the only stories that I have. These are just the most pertinent for this episode today. I have countless stories where the divine has shown up in different ways, interesting ways, symbols and the things that another shares with me in books and visions and meditations and dreams. All of these are different ways the divine has shown up and your relationship with the divine can be similar. Okay. And through this relationship that I have with the divine, with these depictions of the goddess, that's how I know that I'm supported by the Divine Mother, by Shakti, by Kali, right? It's a lot easier for me to know that Kali supports me. It's a lot easier for me to know that my guides, the ascended masters that I look up to, Ananda Ma, Sri Ramana Maharshi, it's easier for me to know that those individuals are looking out for me as opposed to just having a more broad and general outlook that says the divine is looking out for me or God is looking out for me. Sometimes it's easier to conceptualize these things and and integrate these things if we have a form that we can relate with a little bit more closely and personally. So that's one way of looking at it as well. Now, if you're able to just have a real deep feeling and connection with the divine that's impersonal, that's neither masculine or feminine, that doesn't have a form, that's wonderful as well. That's wonderful as well. It's all the same. It's just that these forms that come about, Kali, Lakshmi, Anandamai Ma, Sri Ramana Maharshi, the yoga studio temple itself, they're just tangible ways that we can use to have a relationship with the divine. Okay? And so that's really what religion, when we have these different symbols and icons, that's really what it's about. Sometimes it's misinterpreted and of course it's, you know, hijacked and we're, we're my, you know, people fight, my symbol is better than your symbol and that sort of thing, but they've missed the point entirely. Symbols are pointing to something. What are they pointing to? Look there, okay, relate with that. And so through this relationship, this is why I have such deep faith and trust in this process. This is why I know that's all working out for me, no matter how difficult this process gets. This is where my faith comes from. The divine is with me at all times. The divine has given me evidence to show me that it's with me at all times. And so that's why I don't feel like I'm a victim of this process. I, I know that's going to work out. I know it has worked out. It is all, it's working out. It has worked out. It will work out. It's an ongoing process of working itself out. And this is faith. This is invincibility. This is trust. This is the end of victimhood when it comes to the Kundalini journey. And so I invite you to consider how you can further deepen your relationship with the divine in your own way too. You can use some of the ideas I've shared with you here today to inspire you. Now I'll leave you with a beautiful tale from Sri Ramakrishna about a Kali temple, a saint, and a dog. Now I came across this tale a few days ago by Grace, and I thought it was pretty cool about how it all tied all the themes together that I've just spoken about here today. Right, being a dog photographer, the Kali temple. And so let me share that with you. But before that, let me remind you to check out brentspirit.com 
for more free content just like this. If you'd like to contact me with any questions about your Kundalini Awakening journey, or if you'd like to make a donation to support me in this work, you can visit brentspirit.com. You can also find out how to meet with me one-on-one -on -one there as well. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this tale. Much love. Once, a God-intoxicated sadhu, a saint, came to Rani Rashmani's Kali temple. One day, he did not get any food. And even though feeling hungry, he did not ask anybody for it. But seeing the dog eating the remnants of food thrown away in a corner after a feast, he went there and embracing the dog said, Brother, how is it that you eat alone without giving me a share? So, saying, he began to eat along with a dog. Having finished his meal in this strange company, the sage entered the temple of Mother Kali and prayed with such earnestness and devotion as it sent a thrill through the temple. When after finishing his prayers, he was going away, the master, Sri Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, asked his nephew, Hridai, to follow that man and talk with him. When Hridai followed him for some distance, the sage turned around and said, Why do you follow me? Hridai replied, Sir, give me some instruction. The sage said, When the water of this dirty ditch and the holy Ganges yonder appear as one in your sight, and when the sound of the flagellate, a musical instrument, and the noise of the crowd will have no distinction to your ear, then you will reach the state of true knowledge. A siddha roams in various disguises, as a child, as an unclean spirit, or even as a madman.